Good morning. How are we? We good? Good morning. Welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be here with you. Uh, a couple of things as we get started. First, today being uh, the fifth Sunday, we're going to have a fellowship meal right after this. A lot of you have already brought food. You've made plans to stay. If you didn't bring food and didn't make plans to stay, go ahead and text the people you were planning on meeting and tell them to join you here. Or just stay if you can. We'd love to have you. Um, In the uh, early church, it was uh, pretty common that the church would gather for a meal. And then in the context of the meal, kind of in the middle, they would share the Lord's Supper, bread and wine. So we have the Lord's Supper today as we uh, finish our service here and adjourn across the street for a fellowship meal, uh, sort of uh, somewhat following the pattern of that early church, but it's appropriate. We fellowship with the Lord, we fellowship with each other. So I hope that you can stay after our morning worship today. The uh, couple of other things that are on the back of your bulletin that are particular announcements, uh, one is our summer Bible club. This is for ages three through sixth grade. If uh, your children apply there, we're looking for you to register and then bring them on Wednesday at 11 o'clock. They'll be here from 11 to 1. They'll eat lunch. There are big plans for them. So, uh, but, but registering really helps us make sure we're well prepared for all of the children who will be here. The information for how to do that is on the back of the bulletin. You just take it home and you can type into your web browser just exactly those letters that, that uh, don't make a word, but they will take you to the right place. And then uh, you'll note that we're already uh, planning ahead for our vacation Bible school. We want some folks who'd be willing to help with decorating, help with uh, taking care of our children, with running our classes, doing the various things that are associated with vacation Bible school. If uh, you have time and ability for those things, please join us. And uh, the information for all of that is there right in the middle of all of our announcements. Today we are gathered in the presence of God that we might enjoy His grace, but also to fellowship with Him. Think of the privilege it is that we, the creature, are invited, even commanded, to come in fellowship with the triune God. And as you meditate on our access to God, let it prepare your hearts to worship Him this morning.
morning. Welcome to worship. Before we do our call to worship, I'd like to um, take a moment to do a special prayer for Susan Gordon. So if you would, just please pray with me for a moment. Lord, you are the God of comfort and of healing and of courage and strength, and we pray that you would be all these things uh, with Susan right now, um, that you would give her relief from pain, that you would give her and her family wisdom. Would you give her healing and strength? Lord, you are so loving and so kind and so merciful, and we pray you would be with her right now in this minute in a very special way um, by your spirit. We, we thank you for her. Um, we know you love her, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please stand for our call to worship now from Exodus chapter 34. When God speaks, worship is the only right response, as we see in our call to worship. This is God's word. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Would you worship with me? Let's sing hymn number 75, O Father, You Are Sovereign, hymn number 75.
Sovereign God, you are Lord over this worship service. You are Lord over our life, over our suffering, over our pain, over our joy, over everything. And while we know this to be true, we don't fully or even remotely understand how this can be the case, but we trust you. So we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to grow our faith in this trust, that we would look to you in every situation of life, whether it's in suffering or in happiness, wherever it is and whenever it is, Lord, help us to look to you. Holy Spirit, would you be with us this morning in worship? Uh, Would you be uh, comforting us? Would you be empowering us to sing loudly? Would you be helping us to listen to your word well and to receive your word? Nothing can be done without your power, Holy Spirit, and we pray you would be with us uh, in strength this morning. Would you lead us in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would take your bulletin, we're at the portion of our service where we um, take a moment to confess our faith, and we're using the Heidelberg Catechism as a way of uh, reminding ourselves what we believe God's Word teaches us about Himself, about us, um, about our world, and we've been reviewing questions about the Lord's table, uh, which is good timing for us as we are about to enjoy the Lord's table in this service. Uh, So I'll read the question, and in faith, would you respond with the bold print? Who are to come to the table of the Lord? Those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins, and yet trust that these are forgiven them and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their life. But hypocrites and those who do not repent eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Are those also to be admitted to the Lord's Supper who by their confession and life show that they are unbelieving and ungodly? No. For then the covenant of God would be profaned, and his wrath kindled against the whole congregation. Therefore, according to the command of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such persons by the the keys of the kingdom of heaven until they amend their lives. You may be seated. We're going to take a moment to pray. And uh, as we do, we're going to start with a moment of silent and individual prayer. This is where you can go before God, just as you are. And uh, our confession shows us something of the attitude that we're to come bearing in worship. Uh, It's actually an attitude of dissatisfaction. That that there's a, a bit of grief that is appropriate when we come into the presence of God. It's a grief that recognizes 
our shortcomings, our inabilities. Sometimes you'll hear uh, people say, oh, we're just human. And by that we mean, uh, don't think too much about it, let it go, it's all no big deal because we're all like this. But God would have us say, we were made for way more than this. We were made for glory and honor and beauty. And we have chosen to, to look away from beauty and to just take care of ourselves. And there's a righteous, healthy dissatisfaction, a displeasure. But displeasure and dissatisfaction alone would not be what the, the Scriptures call for, what godliness would call for. It's a displeasure and a dissatisfaction that is joined with a... Ah, an unbeatable satisfaction. We come as, with both things, uh, a, a dissatisfaction that's real and a satisfaction that is uh, beyond description. What is that satisfaction? Is that our uh, sins and weaknesses are turning away. The distortion that is in our hearts has been remedied by Jesus. That our sins are forgiven sins. If you are a believer in Christ, if the God that you seek to pray to is the one revealed in Scriptures, then you can go to Him and say, very honestly, very openly, here are my sins that make me dissatisfied with me, but your love is enough to cover all my sins. And I come to you in the name of Christ, knowing that His death and His life are what make me open and, and, and give me access to you. So I want you to bring both thoughts, the, the dissatisfaction and the satisfaction in Christ in your prayer right now. Confess openly and honestly your own heart, but confess them and trust the forgiveness of God. And then after just a moment of silent and individual prayer, I'll lead us in corporate prayer. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, so much of our lives is spent trying to be two different people. Uh, uh, people who are sinners. Uh, we are twisted. Our desires run counter to what we know is good. We carry with us a continual sense of our guilt and inadequacy. And there is a, a genuine, even righteous dissatisfaction with ourselves. We also try to be people who uh, hide and present the, the, 
the part of us we find presentable, the, the part of us that, that looks good and is acceptable. And so we, we come as, as two different people who are split. And you would have us come as one person, the real us, the real person who desires to be set free from this sin that entangles and besets us, that wrecks our relationships and our lives, that distorts your world and the humanity that you made to be glorious, but also to come as people who have found in Christ hope and life and freedom, the, the perfect answer for our sin that we would come to this table and fellowship with you not as imposters and actors, but as honest people who say, I don't deserve a seat here to fellowship with God, but I get it because of his grace. I'm here in the name of Jesus Christ and on no other merit, and I receive gladly and trustingly with great joy what he gives. Father, I pray you would give us that faith to believe that our sins, are really evil and really forgiven. And that our remaining weakness and corruption is already overwhelmed by the body and blood of Jesus Christ and that his resurrection will accomplish new life in us. These are our truths and we proclaim them, we cling to them, we hope in them and in nothing else. Father, we pray that you would convince us that your forgiveness and your strength is sufficient for our sin and our weakness. I pray that you would persuade us that, and persuade our children this summer at the kids' club, that the, the gospel would be penetrating into their hearts. We long to hear the testimonies of our children years from now in which they will say, it seemed like I always trusted the Lord. I always knew about his love for me and wanted to walk with him. I pray that you would use our kids club this summer that way. Father, we are thankful for our joy group, for the fellowship they share, but that fellowship is based on what unites us, which is that we are sinners who are saved by a gracious God. And the the relationships that we have are built on this one common feature. So I pray that our fellowship today and the meal after would be centered on and based on what we have in Jesus. Father, we pray for Susan, asking for your mercy for her and those who care for her. We pray that you would abound in kindness and mercy giving endurance and wisdom for decisions that need to be made, for humility, for help. Father, have mercy. We are thankful to get to pray for uh, Jacob and Bonner and then Parker when he goes to uh, serve in the military. We pray that you would guard their faith, give them endurance. I pray that today, when they have a chance to be at chapel, you would refresh their minds and their hearts. You would give them the gospel to give them strength. 
Father, this day, we join many in our country this weekend who are remembering the sacrifices that have been made to establish our nation and to protect it. And as Christians, we see the echoes in the sacrifices soldiers make as to, the, to the one great sacrifice for the world that established your, your nation, the church, in the sacrifice of Christ. And at this table, we will remember what he has done. We will celebrate our Savior. We will honor him and receive him. We will trust that his sacrifice is sufficient for our needs and our heart and our fellowship and our ministry and our worship. Father, we pray that you would help us draw near to you in the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we also pray. Amen.
Please pray with me. God, we offer these tithes and offerings to you and to your church. Um, None of us give with a pure heart or with pure motives. We are always battling against uh, the sinful man in us. But Lord, you sanctify us when we uh, give to your kingdom, to your work. You use it for your good. In spite of our mixed motives, in spite of our sin, Lord, you are doing great things. So we pray that you would multiply these tithes and offerings in ways that we would never uh, even think, uh, in ways that you would bless families in this town, in our church, and across the world. Lord, above all, that your name would be hallowed and known throughout the world, and especially here in our church, in our town. We thank you for this opportunity to give. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll continue singing and worshiping together uh, with hymn number 551, How Blessed Is He Who's Trespassed, hymn 551. Let's sing together.
Please be seated. You'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. Now, so far we've seen that there are psalms that are for many occasions. One for seeking wisdom. How do we live a wise life? Or a, a psalm that uh, when we're afraid or when we're angry. Psalms for when we are rejoicing and thankful. Psalms for when we are, like I said last week, on vacation because we uh, see the grandeurs of the things that God has made and let us enjoy that makes us feel small and it leads us to how to worship God. Today we're looking at a psalm for when you feel guilty or ashamed. And that is an immensely practical psalm because that is a, a feeling, an internal sense with which we're all familiar. David gives voice to our inner soul with Psalm 32. Before we read it, would you pray that God would give his blessing as we read his word. Father in heaven, we ask for your favor, your blessing, the, the work of your spirit, the evidence of your power in us, that you would bring your word to us and hide it in our hearts. Father, make your, your blessing known to us. Give to us faith and repentance that we can come before you honestly and receive your grace fully and that we would trust in Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 32, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For a day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad. In the Lord. And rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is God's word, it's completely true and utterly trustworthy. I want you to think of a time, you can probably think of one very specific, when a friend asks you for a favor, something you, you want to do for a friend. It's not difficult, but it's important. And so you say, Sure, I'd be glad to do that for you. Now, some days pass, and you see your friend again, and that's when you realize, oh, I didn't do that thing. Now, what happens next is that you start going through the list of reasons why you didn't get it done. You know, I was, I was surprisingly busy. There were some unexpected things that appeared on my schedule, so, and I'm, I'm basically trying to justify myself 
in a way that I can present to my friend. And sometimes, especially if I'm dissatisfied with my uh, excusing, is I think to myself, I'd better avoid my friend, at least till I get this thing done. Uh, you can probably experience it. I get the text message. I'm like, oh, I can't write back. Or a phone call, and I'm like, this is my friend, but I can't answer it because I know what's going to happen. And so I'm trying to, to fix the problem that I made. That's my reaction to finding myself having disappointed my friend. Now, that's not all bad, right? If I can fix something that I was supposed to do for someone or shouldn't have done, if I can fix it, if I can remedy what I did, that's a good thing, more or less. But David writes a psalm like 32 when he tells us the occasion. This time it just tells us that David wrote it. It doesn't tell us when he was writing this, but one that sounds very familiar, follows much the same pattern as Psalm 51, and there David tells us exactly what was going on. He says... Uh, This was after his sin with Bathsheba. And so this was going to be a mistake. Let's call it a mistake that David couldn't fix. He had committed adultery. He had had a man murdered, all to cover his tracks, and probably for months, maybe a year, had tried to keep this really ugly, devastating sin hidden from public view. Psalm 32 doesn't say it's one of those occasions, but it follows the same pattern. David sins, he hides it, tries to live with it, can't, it becomes exposed, and only then does he find relief. Well, perhaps David had more than one occasion in which he was keeping sins hidden and found relief when they became public or when he began to make them public. I think there's a real likelihood that this is not the same occasion. But, but even if it is, I want you to recognize that what David is doing here is he's saying, you know, when you, you forget the favor for a friend and it's something that can be remedied, or when you're so guilty of sin that there is no remedy that you can begin to touch, which, by the way, is really all the sins, there is one recourse that is sufficient. The dangerous thing you can do with sin is to think you can handle it. That is about the only really dangerous thing you can do with sin, is to think, I can manage this, I can do this on my own. What David would have you do is to find a genuinely comprehensive response. You catch it in the first two verses. And he's piling on terms purposefully so it will weigh on your mind and heart. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, whose iniquity is not counted against him, and whose there's no deceit. He's trying to pile it on so that you'll start to feel it a little bit in your heart. Here's the way to the good life, the blessed life. It's, it's through forgiveness and covering and not counting These are great things. And he he tries to take all these different terms that are related to our sin against God. He uses the word transgression. Transgression has at its heart the idea of rebellion. It's to look at a reasonable and even good authority and say, I reject your authority and I transgress the laws and commands of the one who is righteously over me. 
It's to say to God, God, you say what I should do with my body, but I disagree. I'm going my own way. You say what I should do with my money, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going my own way. You say what I should do with my time and how I should think about other people, and I'm going to go my own way. That's transgression. Then he uses the word sin. Sin has at its idea of, of missing a target. God gave you a target when he created humanity. You were to care for and represent God as his agents to rule over all of creation. And we said, no, I'm going to turn away from that target and aim for something else. What can I make of myself? What can I gather for myself? How can I suit myself? I'm going to live for myself instead of for God. It's to turn away from the target. Then he uses the word iniquity. Iniquity is this idea of being twisted, malformed, perverse, so that we are now unable to walk in the straight line because one leg is shorter than another, because our eyes can't see straight, because there's something that is twisted about who we are. One time I was trying to add some shelves to a storage building, and, you know, I, I measured the first one, put it where I wanted it, put a little piece of wood there so that I could have a, a template so I would put all the other nails in the right spot. And I made them all the way around the room, and then I hung the shelves, and they were all lopsided because the floor was not even. And so my template, no matter how good it was, was being used by this twisted floor. That's what iniquity is. We, our hearts, are twisted. And no matter what tools, even good ones that God gives us, used by a sinful heart, your intelligence, your resources, your mind, all of it, your emotions, these are good things God gave you to use for Him. But because we, from the inner person where the decisions are made, where every part of the human person flows from the heart is twisted, all of those good gifts become twisted in our hands. And David here is using all these things to say there's an answer. Trespass can be forgiven. God doesn't require you Though you usurp from him his authority, he doesn't require you to pay for it or make up for it. He forgives. The missing the mark, the sin of twisting and turning away from God's aim for our humanity is that he covers it. He hides it from view. This is particularly important because David is going to say in verse 5, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. I will not cover my iniquity. He's going to say, my, my sin's covered, but I'm not going to do it. He's here saying, God covers your sin, hides it from view. I mean, think about that for a second. This is our natural reaction to my guilt and to my shame is I want to hide. Adam and Eve felt their nakedness after their sin. And what do they do? They have to cover up. Now, we cover up with way more sophisticated ways. I know my sin and my guilt and my shame, so I cover it with being 
you know, a decent person in public. I try to say clever things or do good works. Not because I'm really trying to worship God all the time, though genuinely we do. But sometimes mixed in with my desire to obey and follow God is this desire just to hide what's really true of me too. I want to hide. And God says, I'll hide it. I'll cover it. And then he says, your iniquity, I won't count it. Now, you know very innately not counting things. Think about the three-year-old who tried to do something and then, and then failed and then comes to you and says, that didn't count. Think about what happens if after you take a test and fail it when you're in high school, the teacher comes and says, okay, everybody did poorly. I'm not going to count this one. And the relief that floods in, you know, if you care about your grades, because it didn't count. I used to dream from my front uh, driveway shooting baskets of being in the, in the you know, NBA finals and shooting the game-winning free throws, and I would miss. And I would always say, well, somebody stepped in the lane, so it didn't count. I could reshoot until I hit it and won. It's the beauty of fantasies. I can create what counts and what doesn't, but here, God, who actually does create <laughs> the rules, and make the judgment says of your iniquity, of your twisted perverseness, of all that is wrong about you, I won't count it. It, it doesn't count. You hear how comprehensive this solution is. It covers all the bases. He covers it, he doesn't count it, and he forgives it. It's gone, it's dealt with. And so David says, you know who's really blessed? the one in whom there's no deceit, the person who's able to be real and honest about who they are because they know the comprehensive response that God has to what is wrong about them. This person is the one who's really blessed. They're free. They're free because they're not trying to manufacture their own response to these things. They've brought it to God. He's addressed it. They walk away clean. In Pilgrim's Progress, he's got this big burden on his back, and when he finally understands the gospel, the burden just falls off. Now, as it turns out, Pilgrim ends up carrying a bunch of burdens, and that's what we do. I get this, I get this passage, and I apply it to something, and I'm finally free from some long-held burden until I pick up another one. And what God would have you see here is you can be honest. You really are the sinner that's described here. You really are infected by this iniquity. You really are the rebel that has committed cosmic treason against the triune God boldly and arrogantly and often. And yet, you're one who is covered, forgiven, not counted. So you can be honest, really who you are. I'm going to come back to that in a minute because it's so very important. Because David here shows you what our response is like. When we try to do it ourselves, it's so inadequate. Look what he says. When I kept silent, 
My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. It never left. There was this internal turmoil because I was aware that all my efforts weren't working. My silence didn't change it. My efforts aren't enough. And it is exhausting. Oh, you know this one. You know, where you're trying to present this person who's acceptable when you know that you're not. And you've got to keep up the, the facade. And you're like, what if they saw? What if when I let that word slip that really betrayed my heart and showed somebody, what if they saw it? And then you kind of go over in your head. Or you look for ways to distract. And you're just exhausted by trying to make sure you keep your sin covered by yourself. It's exhausting. Like uh, he says, like the heat of summer. Uh, yesterday I did some outside work. It was great. It was about 80 degrees. It was, it was wonderful. Next week, it's probably going to be 95 then the outside work is like, I can do five minutes, but then I got to go, you know, watch a 30-minute television show and drink a bunch of water. It just takes all the energy trying to hide your sin, takes away all your motivation, all your strength. I just don't want to do it. And I want you to note, this is actually a really good thing. David says, all this while, day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Day and night suggest that he wasn't sleeping well. His guilt and shame kept him awake because he was pondering, how can I keep this covered? And he knew it was God's hand that was making him so dissatisfied. God's hand, because God, through your conscience, through your sense of guilt and shame, it is God who is pursuing you to come to his solution, his response instead of yours. His comprehensive response instead of your inadequate response. And when you're persuaded, how should we approach God? He tells you that, verse 6. Sorry, verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He acknowledged it. He stopped hiding it. He just spoke it. The path from guilt is to bring the guilt into the open. It's to talk about it. This is God's path to healing. This is why Frequently, you find that in therapy or counseling, people get strength and can change. It's because they start talking and they confess. It's God's designed way to, to bring out from your heart the poison so that it can be healed. Confession means to say with. Con, with, fest, say. Confession means to say with, God, your assessment of my action and my heart, I say the same thing. I confess my sin. 
Now this means I can't excuse it. You are probably familiar with that idea. I think I was probably wrong, but really I wasn't so wrong. If you hadn't done these things, I'd have been better. I probably wouldn't have done what I did if you had been different. That's the way I confess. But that's not the confession of Scripture. The confession of Scripture is you may have been doing your own sins. Those aren't my reasons. I sin because I'm a sinner and I confess it. Sin is necessarily inexcusable and to confess it means I did the sin and I am wrong. And underneath this requires a belief in mercy. To be able to confess it means I really believe that God will be the one who forgives my sins or otherwise I will keep trying to hide it. The only relief from sin is to confess it so that we can experience God's forgiveness. God answers our confession with a fresh experience of his forgiveness. It's not new forgiveness. Jesus already paid for those sins. But we get to experience it as I name the sin before God and can identify it as forgiven. One of the things that, you know, I've seen them do in vacation Bible school, and it's probably a good idea, is to, is to take some sin that you've, you know, been guilty of and you write it down on a sheet of paper and then write over it. Uh, you know, 1 John 1.8, if, if, if someone is, will confess their sins, he is faithful and just to forgive the sin and cleanse it from all unrighteousness. So by writing it down, I'm confessing it, I'm calling it sin, I'm calling myself wrong, and I'm trusting God to forgive that's the idea. So, David tells you what to do. Let everyone who is godly offer prayer. Pray and confess your sins. And when you do, you receive safety. Surely in a rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. The waters here are like the floods of guilt that bring someone down. He says these floods of guilt and shame won't overwhelm you because you've confessed and received forgiveness. Then he says this, you're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. What's his trouble? It's the trouble that he's made for himself. And he says, you preserve me in the midst of my own trouble. My faith my connection to God survives despite my sin. He holds on to me. And so he tells you, I will count, this is, this is God speaking through him. I'll instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will count you with my eye upon you. Don't be like a horse or mule without understanding. All right, this is where the title of the sermon came from. Don't be stupid. If God is this gracious, isn't it foolish for us to say, I don't want to confess my sin, I'm going to keep hiding it myself? Let me keep trying to, to just be okay. He says this, don't be like a horse. A horse, you've got to tie up and you've got to put a bit in its mouth and you've got to maintain a, a tight grip or it wanders away from its owner. And here is God saying, I'm your God, and your sin will have you avoid me. You know, like the friend that you didn't do the thing for, and he, I can't take his phone call right now. You sin, and I start going, I better deal with this before I come back to God. And God says, that's like the dumb horse. 
Don't go that way. I'm your help. You can't beat your sin by yourself, but I'm here. Don't walk away. Come closer. Don't be foolish. Understand, God is the place of safety. And so what God would have you do is not go away, fix your sin, and try to come back. Just start coming to Him. In a lot of ways, what Christianity really is, for most of us in practice, is I just keep coming back to God going, yeah, I need, I need you to help me here. You just keep coming back. Don't go away. Get closer. To move away from God is to invite sorrows. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. It's to say, I'm going to go try to deal with this myself and you will get overwhelmed. You can't fix it. But if you are really honest, you start labeling your specific sins in confession to God, the, the real ones, the ones you wish you didn't even have to say, you bring them all in front of God, and now you've become a person in whom there's no deceit. Your real you before the real God. And he says, and I love the real you. You're surrounded with steadfast love. The real you is loved. So long as I keep trying to present the acceptable me, that's the only one I think is loved. But that's not the real me. I think I've got to protect and maintain and secure, and it's exhausting. But if I present the real me, the honest me, the sinner trespassing iniquity me, and then I'm loved, that's real love. And that's what God would have you experience. The outcome of this, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. I think you probably know this. I committed the sin. I feel guilty and ashamed. I need to feel bad for a long time so that then God will know I'm serious. And so I punish myself. I start to, to kind of mentally flail and, and do some things to make sure that God can see I'm really serious. And then I, I say, okay, and I won't try to enjoy your forgiveness too much lest I, you know, become a person who doesn't mind sin. And God says, no, listen to me. I've forgiven you. Start singing. You should shout. In the church I'm growing up in, they'd all be like, amen, you know. You should shout. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. This is how God would have you respond to his forgiveness. What David here confesses in Psalm 32, he just says there is forgiveness. He doesn't tell you how it happens. So in a moment when we come to the table, I want you to hear God take the bridge from Psalm 32 to the cross of Jesus, where he says, here's where your sins are forgiven. Here's where you should come and shout for joy. There's a certain 
sorrow and dissatisfaction as we come to the table because I know it was my sin that led to his body being broken and his blood being shed for me. That in his death is my forgiveness of sins. The reason I don't pay for my transgressions is because he did. My forgiveness comes because he was punished. On his back are the stripes that healed me. I see it at this table. There's a dissatisfaction. But I want you to hear the voice of your God saying, Now, as you take this bread and you drink this cup, shout and sing and rejoice, for your God delights to save you. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us take in this psalm and to use these words that we might confess very honestly, openly, specifically, truly, honestly our sin, our guilt, our shame, and find a great salvation that frees us from this overwhelming guilt and shame to You would call us to rejoice in your salvation. So I pray that we'd be able to be dissatisfied with ourselves, but so completely satisfied in Jesus that we can sing and rejoice. Father, we come to you because you have forgiven us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we do prepare to come to this table that promises you covering and forgiveness of your sins, would you turn to him 501, just as I am, without one plea. We're going to sing the first four verses as the elders prepare the table. Let's stand and sing.
Please be seated. One of my favorite passages that talks about how the Lord Jesus instituted this supper for us is in the Gospel of Luke. Listen to Luke tell us about what we're doing at this table. When the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me at the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. In that passage, the, the, the words that I really like the most are, He is eagerly desired. The eagerly desired is a very strong word. It's sometimes even translated coveted. He's using powerful, evocative language to say how much he wanted to share this particular Passover where he would link the bread to his body and the cup to his blood in a way that the disciples wouldn't get for yet still a few days. And later they would pass it on to all the churches saying, this is great. Come and fellowship with a God who is eager to fellowship with you. Not reluctant, not withholding, not thinking, I wish we didn't have to do it this way because you've been kind of disappointing, but a God who said, I love to forgive my children and bring them to fellowship. That's what we read in Psalm 32. He wants us to rejoice and shout in his forgiveness. We're honest as we come to the table. The only people who can come to this table are those who say, I am a sinner and my only hope is that the Son of God would give his life in my place. That is the only way that my sins can be dealt with. But he has done so. And so I come just as I am. Now, at the table with Jesus was one who would betray him. In that sense, he didn't recognize Jesus in salvation or as Lord. And so it made the bread and the cup, just like any other bread and any other cup, it lost its spiritual significance. And for, for that man, it says, woe to him. It would be better that he had not been born. When we come to the table, if we come not coming to, to confess our sins and receive his forgiveness as he's offering the gospel, we make this a common table, it's just a snack at the end of worship. And we invite a God who treasures this fellowship in Christ to act in judgment. So if you are not trusting in Jesus, if this table is not representing fellowship of Christ in the gospel to you, then I would say, let it pass you by. But if you are here, and you have professed faith in Christ, and you are trusting in Him, and you long for Him to forgive your sins and free you, then He is eager for you to come to the table with Him and to fellowship. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to the table, 
We're not coming... We're not coming with our own sense of merit to resume or because we deserve it. We're going to come just as we are. Sinners without any kind of plea on our own behalf except you said come and your grace is sufficient for our need. We pray that you would bless the bread and the cup and nourish our souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and after he had given thanks... As we have done, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Uh, We'd ask you to hold the bread in your hand till all have been served and we'll eat together as one body. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land.
the body of Christ that washes you from all your sin, eat in remembrance of him. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood, shed for the remission of sins for many. All of you drink this in remembrance of him as well. Once again, I would ask you to hold the cup in your hand till all have been served. We may drink together. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that, for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. And delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. The blood of Christ that makes your soul live, drink in remembrance of him.
Let's pray together again. Our Lord Jesus, we come to you as sinners, but sinners who've been forgiven. We trust your forgiveness. We rejoice in your gospel, and we sing to your praise. We pray, send us out in your power to bear witness to your name, that your name may be great. We love you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you take your hymnals and turn again to 501, we're going to sing the last two verses of Just As I Am. Let's stand and sing. God blesses his people with his fellowship that we share with him. And it's a fellowship we share with one another. I hope that you can stay and join us to eat across the street. We're going to rehearse that blessing that God gives us as well as ask for his blessing on our fellowship and our food. So would you join me in praying? Our great God in heaven, we pray that you would bless us with fellowship that resembles what we have with you to make it tangible and felt. We pray that our conversation would encourage faith and repentance and life in Christ. We pray that you would bless the food you provided for us and receive our thanks. Now we pray that you would send us with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.